Hey there, everybody. I hope you're having a relaxing holiday Christmas season. And I just wanted to do a follow-up episode on the recent discussion that I had with Josh Reed on my show, getting into a lot of different subjects, but we started to hone in on this discussion about ETs, UFOs, UAPs, non-human intelligences, whatever you want to call them. And the fact that this discussion is now going mainstream, thanks to you know, we got Tucker Carlson talking about this now. I'm going to play a clip in a minute and then kind of give you my thoughts on it. We've got uh, these whistleblowers coming out. We've got this David Grush coming out and actually having testimony in Congress and then, you know, continuing to go on podcasts to talk about this subject. And of course, I've been a person that's been a fan of this subject for as far back as I can remember and I've done a great deal of research on it. I've interviewed literally everybody on this subject. Some of them I've released online and some of them are just discussions I've had over the years with various thinkers, experiencers, uh, people that are connected to the military complex and the government, etc. And just sort of gathering notes as well as following my lifelong passion, uh, another lifelong passion I have, which is looking at the ancient mythological record, studying comparative religion mythology. That's actually where I got my interest in the subject. And then, uh, you know, I've been following it and sharing different ideas and trying to think deeply about it. And so I want to continue some of my speculations today for you, just for what it's worth. And we're getting into some territory that I know is very territorial and everybody's got their favorite theory and opinion on it, which is great. And I think that no matter what angle you're coming at, we're all onto something here. There's definitely enough smoke to say that there's most likely a fire and probably more than that. But what I want to get into here is just some of the comments that Tucker made on, I think it was the Tim cast podcast or one of those. He was with Luke from, we are change as well. And he made some statements about this and I've obviously been looking at everybody's comments on it. And it's great to see that we're even having this discussion now with some seriousness for a change rather than just instant ridicule or brushing it off. So I'm happy for that. So I just wanted to take this opportunity to go through the statements made in this clip. And I've got some notes to share with you just to give you my general take on it. But I'll always add the disclaimer that we are dealing with the mystery of mysteries here. This is something that is mysterious to us all. And I think it's amazing that we have people that advocate for different theories and ideas about it. We need that. I just hope we don't tear each other to bits over it and distract from the process of actually getting to the core truth behind this phenomena of UFOs and other intelligences. And, you know, what are we dealing with? Are we dealing with something purely physical, spiritual, interdimensional, something in between, mix of both, something completely out of our conception of reality? or possibility entirely. Uh, I'm going to leave it to you to make up your own mind, but I'm going to share some thoughts after I play this brief clip. So let's get into the clip and then I'll come back to you here. Tucker, you made some very interesting comments recently that has been uh, going viral all over social media when you were specifically talking about um, UFOs and you, you were specifically talking uh, about something that is 
hard to kind of really understand here. I was wondering, what's your kind of take on all of this? Because I, I see this as a spiritual war. Do you see this as a spiritual war? Uh, what, what are your kind of core belief systems when it comes to uh, addressing the larger evils of the system? Well, I, you know, as I so often do, I spoke incompletely. I didn't fully explain myself. Um, in the clip that you're referring to, which like eight people have sent me, uh, in outrage that I basically said there are things that I know that I won't say, which of course is not exactly right. I don't know. I mean, I can't prove it. And I really do try to like say things that I really believe are true and are provably so. Um, and so that's kind of my hesitance. If I had facts, I would, I would say them. It's my personal belief based on a fair amount of evidence that they're not aliens. They've always been here. Um, and, I, and I do think it's spiritual. That's, that's my view. So, and, and again, it's not provable, but based on, uh, on the evidence, I think. I'm with you. Absolutely. I'm well, with the, you. the military has been working in this realm for a very long time. They have been also trying to, to, to weaponize it. There's also a lot of crazy experiments that they did with DMT, hooking people up essentially to, to DMT IVs, having people go off into the spiritual realm. So they're, 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 if, you're, if you're not paying attention, you don't understand that there's a larger kind of energetic uh, frequency in battle happening. But, but, but can I say one thing? If the U.S. government has, in fact, had contact, direct contact with these beings, whatever they are, I've already told you what I think they are, and has entered into some sort of agreement with them, which is, which is the claim of, of informed people, um, I would say, whether they're right or wrong, I can't say conclusively. But, but, yeah. but, wait, wait, but wait. if that is true, I mean, it's a very, very, very heavy thing. Yeah. Are you, well, a lot of people say hold, interdimensional hold, beings. Right, I, I want to ask, are you, are you, Angels and demons, or how would you well, describe these, these beings? You know, I, these are, again, I'm getting into the realm of conjecture, so I just want to say that flat out. Entity? But one thing I know for a dead certain fact, having seen it, is that um, there is good and evil, that we are being acted upon at all times. And I think every person can feel that in himself. I mean, there are moments when you are moved to do things that are much better than you actually are, and that are also more evil and destructive than you actually are. You are subject to forces from outside yourself. That is absolutely true. Now, we can argue about what they are, but every person in the room, if he's reflective, will tell you, yes, I know what you're talking about. And so there are forces that are not human, that do exist in a spiritual realm of some kind, that we cannot see, and that when you think about it, sort of make you think we live in an ant farm. Yeah. <laughs> Being, right? And that's Absolutely. just, that is real, yeah. okay? When I, and, and there's many artists also talking about how uh, essentially what they do and their greatest works of art is usually done through channeling. Of course. So, and and, and th there is a, an aspect of this. Not freedom chains, by the way. Definitely not that We haven't made anything good. Yeah. Um, every, by the way, every artist will tell you that. Exactly. Every artist. That, that something happened that they're, they're, they're not themselves, that they just were, were doing their art, and then something just transcended. Went no, but, and it's not just visual arts. It's, yep. it's every creative act brings you closer to something outside the human realm, and you can feel it, whether it's woodworking or writing or painting a painting or writing an opera or writing a rap song or whatever. Anything yeah. that is true and beautiful or anything that is dark and destructive is almost certainly a product of forces acting upon you, and you can feel it. Tucker, you... All right, so there you go. So many things said. I wish I could have been sitting at that table, but this is just going to have to do. I absolutely love these lines of questions. I love thinking about this. Um, you know, I've got books sitting right in front of me where each author will have a slightly different angle on the questions that are being raised by Tucker and, and by so many people right now as this information starts to come out more and more and as more people become legitimately curious about it. And actually, I think 
everybody's curious about this subject. I think you'd be hard pressed to find any human being walking the planet that uh, hasn't thought about this and wouldn't be absolutely fascinated to learn more. I mean, just look at the numbers when it comes to any of these major films that feature these kinds of themes. It is the blockbuster number one best hit. Uh, you know, it's practically, you know, movies like E.T. and Stargate and Star Wars and, you know, movies of in this genre are essentially part of our culture now. That's how powerful they are. Uh, you can go into any country and even if you don't speak their language, you can say UFO and they'll know exactly what you're talking about. So I think everybody's curious about it, but basically everybody's afraid to talk about it, at least here in, in Western countries, because of two two forces. You have the religious minds and you have the scientific materialist minds, both of which, um, you know, they've got their own little unique slant on it. And again, I don't want to paint everybody with a general brush, but in general, both sides reject the extraterrestrial hypothesis uh, that we're dealing with something not of this earth, um, or at least not in our conventional ways of thinking about it. And I think this is great. I'm honestly here to say, I don't want to be here to give you the final take on it. There is no final take on it. This is a mystery. And I hope we get more information as time goes on. But I do have some things inside me that get prompt me to do this kind of stuff because I just want to say, all right, as we're speculating on these questions, we have to avoid the jump to conclusions, Matt. We, you know, if we really want to be serious about it and investigate it and, you know, maybe eliminate our natural bias that kicks in to this that I can break down in a bit here, um, when try to really see it objectively, you know, there's, there's many pitfalls of thinking that can hit you because our minds and our ideas are prey to or victim to a few different aspects that I think we don't consider enough when we're having this discussion. Let me just put it like that. So I'm just here to say, Hey, before we go down all these rabbit holes and entertain all these theories, and then start, start speaking about them, as many people tend to do, as in the affirmative, as if they know for sure that that's what it is. We got to avoid that. And we maybe got to ask, why do so many people operate like that? Like everybody that thinks they know the truth about this is going to be, hey, I'm the one that knows and everything else outside of my knowledge is wrong, evil, a psyop or whatever. And, and this happens in at the top level of this community of these various researchers who all create their little camps of, of their explanation of it. You know, they're kind of giving you their, their take on this reality and then people like it. So they kind of band around them, they form little tribes and then they shoot down the other tribes that have a different take on it. I have a different approach. I want to know what in the hell this is just because I'm so damn curious about it. And because I believe that it's got a lot of relevance to the world we live in reality in general, and even the situation we find ourselves you know, socially, geopolitically, etc. There, there's implications across the board with this question. Uh, it's up there with the question of reality. And is there a God? What happens after we die? I mean, are we alone in the universe? Are we the only creatures with intelligence operating on this planet? You know, whose planet really is this? What's really happening? You know, these are these are essential. And they're Questions that I love. I love them because I don't have the answer, but they definitely make me think. And that's all I'm trying to do with you here today. So into the clip now, the word spiritual came up. So 
this is where you get into the meat of this, where you're going to talk to people and they're going to tell you, well, I think it's a spiritual phenomena, this UFO ET thing. I think it's a spiritual phenomena. Um, and many of those types tend to be either from one of the established religious paradigms or from the new age community where they'll say, oh, it's all spiritual beings. It's Ashtar command. It's you know, channel beings, it's, uh, they're all spiritual outside of our physical dimension. They're all separated from us by this barrier of illusion. That is the 3d reality or whatever. And then I mean, it, and some of the, some of these elements can be true, but I think we tend to take these theories and these ideas to the nth degree where we make them concrete where I don't think we should. So anyways, you got the spiritual side and this, these four different takes were broken down very well by some videos by Richard Dolan, who I highly recommend his work. He's done so much on these questions. Um, he's a true UFO historian. He keeps it much more logical than so many others in this field. And I've worked with Dolan. I've known Dolan, you know, on and off for years, did tours across Canada with him, spoke to him privately for many hours and have interviewed him multiple times. I'm still trying to get a hold of him to bring him back, but we'll see how we can get that for you soon. But he he came up with the four categories, and you can get this in his book, UFOs for the 21st Century Mind. I've got it right here in front of me. And it's a phenomenal book if you're curious in this subject, because what Dolan's doing is he's just collecting all the arguments, all the evidence, all the categories, and trying to organize it in one book so that anybody who's either new to seriously considering this subject, or even for those who are more seasoned, can actually speculate more rationally on the subject. And that's what I found the utility of that book was for me personally. And there are many other authors I could recommend as well that think in this way. Um, and he broke down the four basic categories as to what are we dealing with here? Who's piloting these craft? What are they? Who This mysterious they, what are we talking about? Well, when it comes to the UFO subject in general, I'll just title it that just to keep it loose for you, easy to speak about. You got four basic categories, according to Dolan. You have number one, which is the skeptic. There's your scientifically minded uh, or even religiously minded, doesn't matter. Just anybody out there that is just purely skeptical of the subject and tends to try to debunk it on its face, tends to try to fight back, tends to go in there and say, oh, you guys are just making stuff up. This is all just a psychological phenomenon, blah, blah, blah. And there's many good points that the skeptics bring up that everybody should listen to. You should listen to the skeptics. You should, even though maybe you you love this subject and you think, oh, I think it's real. You absolutely must study the skeptic arguments because even if you don't go to the nth degree and totally buy into their arguments and the net result of their arguments, their arguments can really be valuable because they do bring up a lot of great points. I just mentioned one that a lot of this is a, a phenomena of the human mind. It's a phenomena of the human psyche. I believe a lot of it is. And then if you were to see, they kind of end there and then just move on. But what I would do is say, take that discussion of the psychological component. Okay. Cause you have the individual psyche of every human being walking around, making up their own mind on this. And then you have the collective unconscious, you know, the Jungian idea that there's a collective unconscious, or there's this public mind that is a much more lower IQ and more of a general thinking pattern. Um, you know, however you want to look at it, 
but that what we do see in ufology in all these different com compartments of it uh we don't see a lot of discussion about the psychological component so i personally don't i listen to the skeptics and i have for years as much as i listen to the people who whose arguments i favor which are not so skeptical if that makes any sense i find it valuable you got the skeptics that's number one then you got the non-spiritual interpretation so those out there that are a little more nuts nuts and bolts on the subject that are trying to look at this from the perspective of the phenomenological um, reality that here we are as living conscious beings on this planet and our very existence begs the question are there others that exist similar to us in space and time in other locations throughout the universe that are just like we are they are evolving species perhaps some of them achieved a higher level of technological advancement perhaps some of them went on their evolutionary pattern earlier than we did perhaps some of us start on the same timeline and others achieved a higher level of understanding of reality the universe space time uh you know technology etc uh maybe some of them were are, are more advanced than we are uh maybe there are some that aren't aren't where we are at currently maybe it's you know bigger than we we could imagine but that we're not ascribing in that category or the people in that category the non-spiritual interpretation are not ascribing divine qualities uh they're not deifying these beings they're not casting them in through the religious lens of things which is we're talking about some kind of separate spiritual uh dimension uh, only at least um that we are definitely dealing with a very physical reality as well a very nuts and bolts physical reality and i guess they wouldn't be adding the as well that's me adding it uh, someone who's strictly non-spiritual interpretation would say none of this stuff needs to be explained through the lens of religion or spiritual whatever uh all of those are just you know that's a totally different compartment we're dealing with physical beings that have a greater understanding of reality of the universe and are just more advanced and they are just as physical as we are they simply possess technology that we humans at our current level of understanding cannot understand and that kind of goes with this quote from arthur c clark so arthur c clark which i wanted to bring up here to just say look any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic and just think about that right and i got more to say on that in a bit but let me just get through these categories so number one is the skeptic two is the non-spiritual interpretation three would be the new age interpretation so you get into the new age movement this is where you're getting all your channelers you know galactic federation ashtar command blah 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 and they're channeling these beings and when you get into the new age stuff man there is some stuff that's fascinating as well to make you think hmm, maybe there is another layer to this uh, maybe there isn't just as physical interpretation maybe there is something about the human mind you get into remote viewing you get into some of these things about psychic phenomena and you start wondering what the hell is mind anyways and perhaps we are interconnected on a soul level you know much greater than we know so this is this is going beyond just the materialist paradigm however the pitfalls of the new age movement is it's really culty a lot of bollocks got smuggled in and it's no longer as much of a free and open inquiry and adding these other spiritual layers onto the subject it is full on just turned in ufology into a bunch of factionalized cults 
of, you know, which channeled information do you believe more than the other? That's just sort of my general critique. And again, I'm speaking generally, obviously there's exceptions, but that's kind of my basic take. I'd have to break it all down more specifically, but that's a good start. And then you've got number four, which is a purely spiritual Christian religious interpretation that these are angels and demons as described in all the ancient scriptures and that uh, any discussion about physical beings um, or any of that is it, it's it flies in the face of the religious paradigm uh, because it's coming from the materialist paradigm and that's our arch enemy so we don't want to have anything to do with that and so if we're talking about anything more advanced than humans uh, because of our particular interpretation of the bible or the ancient text you know because we could bring in islam here or Judaism or whatever, they all would probably prefer to look at this from a spiritual lens uh, rather than any kind of physical lens because bringing in the physical starts to bring certain aspects of their paradigm into question. So obviously it would be make logical sense that the religious camp would fight to the end to say, no, this is purely spiritual beings as, as described and discussed in our religion. So there you go. There's your four basic categories that, you know, at least Dolan was thinking about. And I didn't really have anything to add because each category, you can add a bunch of splinter cell factions into it, right? Um, I personally think that there's value in all four categories. I believe, and I've learned from great teachers that come from each of these four, from skeptics, from the non-spiritual interpretation, from the new age interpretation, from the Christian religious interpretation of the spiritual dimensions or whatever. I've learned great things about this from all of them. But the thing is, is while I could say, well, maybe we could say there's a fifth category of people that think it's a little bit from all of these, com all of these columns, right? That, that, that these guys all have good arguments to make and that maybe we should distill them down and create a fifth category where we're now starting to think outside of these boxes into maybe something else. I don't know if that's even possible. Uh, I like to I like to stay there. If I were to lean towards any one of these four, I would go more for the non-spiritual interpretation. I usually will defend this in comments or whatever. And the reason I do that isn't to be hostile, isn't to be like, well, my way is the only way of looking at this. It's simply to watch the reactions so that I can take notes and get a deeper understanding as to why people believe what they believe. And if I were to tell you my original interest in this subject and all the other subjects I look at that we would call alternative or, you know, fringe or conspiracy or whatever, I am interested in them because I'm interested, first of all, in the questions that they're posing and the many good points that they raise to get us to question our reality and the information that we're given from official sources on this but also because I have a fascination with why humans believe what they believe. This is just probably the number one driving force behind everything that I do. And my curiosity, if I were to boil it down, is I realized at a very young age that all of us, including myself, were, because I was raised in a very strict religious background, Christian background. And I noticed there were divisions within the Christianity that I was taught where not all the Christians agreed. Then I realized, oh my God, there's other religions and then there's science. And then there's all these interpretations of reality out there. And 
they can't all simultaneously be true, but we can also see that there's commonalities that are so striking in all of these various paradigms in the world of how many religions and cults and ideas that there are, um, or scientific paradigms. There's so many aspects where everybody is totally against each other, but then there's so many things that you could synthesize and say, Hey, I think we're all just using different words and terms and ideas to describe the same basic thing. Right? So I thought of that as a kid, I'm like, maybe all these different things we're fighting over are really just, we're fighting over semantics. We're fighting over, our cultural identities, our certain interpretations. We're fighting over the ideas we like more than others. And anybody that comes in with a different idea is perceived as a threat. So this kind of hints at a form of tribalism that's still operating that isn't so benevolent and isn't, it is actually something that can be a problem if we're trying to get to the truth, right? And so I, I wanted to know why do people believe what they believe? And I constantly ask myself that question um, and I think that's valuable that we do that, especially with something like this, right? Where everybody likes to pretend they know it all, but when you really boil it down, the more you learn, the more you realize we don't know. So all that to say, I say, stay humble in this, but I, I personally leaned towards the arguments of the non-spiritual interpretation. And I'm going to give you the reason why. Uh, but I will say that I believe we're dealing with a bit from all of these columns here. And I think we're just trying to struggle to define it through our words, through our thinking. And that maybe there's elements to it that are just impossible at this stage for the human race to define. Right. And so I say out with all the, the, the infighting and more with just, let's get back to the process of science where we rigorously think about test and debate these things with some civility and Keep the goal in mind that we're not just here to affirm our preferences, right? That's the issue with this belief thing is that most of the time we're dealing with preferences. People have selected things that they prefer to be true that has constructed the baseline of their belief system rather than, okay, we all do that. I do that. You, everybody does it, but we're missing that point of the open-mindedness and the humility that you need to constantly stay open to new information, new interpretations, and not stay so attached and committed to it. Um, but try to actually penetrate into these mysteries and figure out what the truth is. I mean, that's what makes it fun, right? So, you know, I just look at it like this. Let me go back to this statement from Arthur C. Clarke, okay? And, and this gets into this question that Tucker was bringing up. I think they're spiritually. So I think there's a spiritual component. I believe they're spiritual. I believe there's, they're not aliens. They've always been with us. These kind of statements, right? So I just take these apart a little bit. And I'm, I respect his opinion. I'm glad he said it. And maybe he's right. But what do we mean by that word spiritual? Like the minute I bring that up, now we're going to have to have a whole conversation about it. And we're going to have to look into the etymology. And I got a little bit on that for you here. Because there's words that we use in our current time, right? We all use words, but few even study the words that they use. We simply use the words of the day, right? And our words and terms change over time in an attempt to try to have a better explanation given the updated data that we get after looking at this for generations, right? This question, there's been... 
people researching the UFO subject, the ET subject, the question of reality, uh, well before my time, right? This goes to some of the oldest speculation that exists. But our terms and names have changed over time so that we can get better specificity out of it. We can update how we're using these terms given the fact that we gain, we have to understand we collect and gain more information over time. So our theories have to change. Some of our terms need to change, right? So when we say spiritual, are we using that word in a context that's based out of like the 14th century or something? And we're trying to ascribe it to a phenomena that's happening around us and maybe we don't all mean the same thing when we say the word spiritual. You know, I, I mean, this is where I come in and we go, all right, we're kind of trapped. Uh, we've done whole podcasts on by this or about this on, by the way, on Unslaved, where we talked about we're lost in a sea of words. We're sort of trapped in a, a prison of words. And because your words are supposed to be communication tools of thought, right? We have a thought, we think of a concept. And usually when you think of a concept, you don't think of that concept or see it in your mind's eye as a series of words. You see almost like a holographic 3D image that comes with feelings, almost like a dream. Like a dream comes with feeling, it comes with experience, it comes with all these things that, that kind of linger with you sometimes. If you have a really powerful, vivid dream. To me, a dream is just like a pinnacle thought that you're experiencing in the dream state, right? And then when you're back in the conscious state, we're, we're thinking of, oh, okay, I think it's this. I think it's that. And we're reaching for words to describe this dream we're having about that concept in our mind. And we're trying to distill it into reality and then explain it to another human being who has their own mind and their own dream state of thinking and their own understanding of the definitions of words and their own cultural um, and social or religious or non-religious belief systems that are filtering that dream. And then it comes out as, we're all fighting over this, but maybe we zoom out and we go, well, maybe we're all just using words and terms that just, it's the best we've got. But these words and terms, the thing is culturally come with a lot of baggage, right? If I say spiritual and then Jim Jones says spiritual, and then some rabbi says spiritual, and then, you know, Richard Dawkins says spiritual, and then, you know, some priest says spiritual, and it's just extra extrapolate that out. We're all kind of using different, we're using the same word to describe a different layer of meaning to it. And so this is the confusion. We're trapped in a prison of words. It's the Tower of Babel, right? We can't, we can barely communicate. So when we're going, oh, are aliens demons or are demons aliens? I mean, these are words that we're speaking about in the English language that are, uh, you know, aliens and demons come from two different time periods, right? The idea of an alien, if you read the, even if you read the Bible, there's the word alien is in there, but they're speaking about someone from a different country. You know, I'm an, I'm an alien from a foreign land, right? That was the word alien in the Bible and the word demon, you know, we get into the etymology of what it means. And then there's even the word daemon, which is the more Greek uh, understanding of it. I think that's what it is. 
And then there's, you know, but anyways, and then every culture, you got jinn, you got all these different names for these spiritual beings that, you know, there's lots of baggage with them. Because are we talking about actual separate living organisms or separate disembodied consciousness that did they name themselves demon or angel or alien or jinn or, you know, Nagas or Jedi or Gregory or Titans or Elves or Olympians or Asuras or Dragon King Kings or, you know, the gods or the Chittahori. Did they name themselves those things, the Anunnaki? Or are those words humans gave them? Are those titles humans gave them and then wrote them down in the language of the day based on the information and the belief systems that these ancient humans had that wrote about this stuff? And then you come up to the modern time, we go, oh, they're, they're ETs, they're extraterrestrials. Extraterrestrial being not of this earth. They're not from here, right? Because they're different from us. Okay, whether they're not from here, whether they're, some of them are from here, maybe we're not from, I don't know. There's all the discussions about it, but again, we're just trying to keep it general here. The point being, even the words we use to describe this are not sufficient and they cause a lot of confusion and then set, we keep fighting over this and then we've, we're not even discussing the subject anymore and we're losing our joy of the subject because, you know, it's potato, potato, you know, and, and that's the problem. So that's something that I always say is that, you know, for me, the terms and names that are given to this phenomenon are mostly just pointless semantics because they solely depend on your cultural, linguistic, and religious point of view. They've been called hundreds of different names, they being these others. They've been called hundreds of different names throughout the ancient literature from around the world. And then here's my point on this, just to give you, this is the issue we need to think about. Even in our own time, we've already renamed this phenomena numerous times. As long as I've been studying this, you know, maybe passively throughout my life and then more actively as about, say, 2003, 2002, 2003 is when I really dove in and started getting the books and watching all the documentaries and trying to think about it realistically. We've already changed. I've watched it happen. We've changed the way we talk about it, and we've changed it for many reasons. One, when we say ET, UFO, immediately that's been so beaten up by the propaganda about this and all the crazy people about that have brought those words into our minds and, and all the thing, the baggage that comes with it in the public mind. So we started changing names to be a little bit more appealing to the public to say, Hey, there's actually something here. We're not just a bunch of crazy tinfoil hatters. You know, we're not all a bunch of, we're not just a boogaloo cult. We're not just a new religious sect. It, there's something real going on. There's a real phenomena happening. It's documented on radar. There's numerous witnesses from all over the world spanning centuries. And so there's something here and we're just trying to define it. It's not so crazy. So we changed the names to make it sound a little bit more appealing to people. So they go, oh, I, I'm not going to be with those crazy UFO people, but I'm interested in this, you know, UAP phenomenon. <laughs> so think about it in our modern time, just kind of getting back to the point of how everybody goes, oh, I think it's the Anunnaki. I think it's the fallen angels. I think it's demons. I think it's aliens. I think it's the reptilians. I think it's this or that. It's the, it's the Olympians. It's the Prometheans. Potato, potato. Human ascribed terms to a phenomena that humans couldn't understand. That's what it is. 
These are terms we gave it. That's just one way of thinking it. Maybe some other people go, nope, those were the names that the visitors themselves said they were, and therefore that's what it is. But if you really read the ancient text, there isn't really that discussion. They're saying things like, oh, the, you know, the watchers or the Anunnaki or the Nephilim or the fallen angels or whatever. They had these names. Now, were those names their names that they used amongst themselves that they just said, hey, by the way, my name's Anunnaki. My name's Archangel Michael. My name's this and that, you know? Uh, or were these the names given by the high priests of the human world to try to name it, to say, hey, guys, there's some guys here. They're, they're this. And you get into etymology and you pull it all out and you go, oh, interesting. So, but to make more point on that, in our own time, we've changed the names, guys. We've, we've switched UFO to UAP. UFO, both of them being just acronyms for unidentified flying object to unidentified aerial phenomena. Like, do you see how it's just potato, potato? And then we don't call them ETs anymore or even aliens. We call them NIHs, call them non or NHI, sorry, non-human intelligences to make it a little more general. So let's say we have this debate, this discussion right now, we write it down. We start writing whole books about UAPs and, and, and NHIs. And then future historians look that up and go, oh, they met a group called the NHIs and they are the ones that have been visiting us. They're the NHIs or they're the, they're the ETs. No, those were just terms we ascribe to it loosely to try to define this thing. So even in our own times, we've already renamed UFOs to UAPs and ETs with NIHs. So don't get stuck on words and terms is the point of that little monologue there. Don't get stuck on words and terms. Don't start fighting over words and terms. We're looking at an elephant in the room and someone says it's a tail. Someone says it's a snake. Someone says it's a wall. Someone says it's, I don't know, Kool-Aid guy. It's, it doesn't matter. We're, we're all blind men feeling this elephant trying to describe what it is. Meanwhile, the whole time it's an elephant and we just didn't know. So that's kind of my general take on it. And that brings us back to this Arthur C. Clarke statement, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Let's just, if I could extrapolate that a little bit, I don't want to infer any meaning to it that maybe Clark didn't mean. But if I were to say this, I would say any sufficiently advanced technology relative to human understanding is indistinguishable from magic. So like anything humans that are looking at this phenomena, scratching their heads, anything that we perceive as magic, we're going to first perceive it as magic. We're going to perceive it as some spiritual thing, some otherworldly, other dimensional thing. And maybe it is, but this is why I'm bringing this up because maybe it isn't. And we simply don't understand the technology or maybe even technology is still a limiting word. We don't understand the reality of the situation that we're in. We don't understand the universe and how it functions and how life Originally, we're still arguing over the origins of the human species. We're still arguing over so many questions. There's, we're, we're a species that's in amnesia. If you think your news is fake, how bad do you think your history department is or your religious 
scribe department, which is just the sum total of a giant game of telephone that has lasted for thousands of years. What's it going to be thousands of years from now? And then I bring this up. This is my favorite thing to bring up with this. When we have this, are they spiritual? Are they deities? Are the gods real? Real in the sense, not in the sense that maybe what ancient peoples called the gods and, and they deified them and worshiped them come from an actual experience in ancient, ancient times where they did interface with something like this UFO phenomena that was so far beyond their current understanding at the time, talking primitive cultures here. And then also you could say, well, there was also advanced civilization. Yeah, even still, maybe that was lost. The understanding was lost with these lost continents and with these lost civilizations. But when man was coming back up the curve and going from the Stone Age up to now, anything sufficiently, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic to the ancient man. And so here's a prime example. We, we ascribed our own understanding to something that we couldn't understand. And we gave it names and stories and myths. And then it, it's like in the beginning of Lord of the Rings, it fell from history. It fell into mythology and legend, right? This is what happened. It was, there was real experiences that fell into the tides of the forgetfulness of the human species, you know, and then also the fact that you have later cultures picking up these dusty old books and manuscripts and then interpreting them through their lens of the time. So maybe they go, oh, this is what they meant when the ancient Egyptians wrote this or it, where it says this in the Hebrew or the Latin or the Greek. This is what they meant. Yeah, but you're getting that from people that came later. Were they sitting at the table of the people that wrote those things down and they understand every working of their theory of it? Obviously not. So all of our history has this baggage of humans projecting their own cultural and political religious belief system onto this mystery. And so, so much gets lost in the translation. And the prime example of this is the story of the remote South African island, and that's just one of them, where they worshipped airplanes. So you have, after a group, this is uh, this reported in The Guardian, but I've looked this up, I've studied this. I actually had to do interviews with ancient aliens on this subject, and we there were many cultures. You got these Aboriginal cultures uh, in Australia, et cetera, and many of these groups, uh, Papua New Guinea, that they first discovered the fact that there's these little cliques and tribes that haven't seen modern civilization, who still live out in the wild, who started to see technology flying around in the sky that they couldn't explain and literally formed cults around them. Right? So they're just saying in this article, it's a decent summary. After a group of indigenous saw their first plane fly over Vanatu, a remote island in the South Pacific of Australia during the Second World War, they actually created a religion based on the worship of aircrafts. The religion was first discovered in 1946 by Australian government patrols. The planes occasionally delivered food and supplies to the islanders, so the group began to believe that cargo would be brought to them by a messiah. As a result, whenever they saw a plane fly overhead, they would build a replica in the hope that they would receive more blessings. The islanders did not know where the objects were coming from, which led them to believe that the objects were being delivered by supernatural means. The worship of aircrafts in the island of Vanatu is referred to as the John Frum movement 
because they believe from who was supposedly a first world war serviceman is the Messiah sent from God to bring them gifts and good tidings. The name John from or John from comes from the way the soldiers would introduce themselves. Hi, I'm John from New York or nice to meet you. I'm John from Miami. So they took, oh, John from. So this is again about language that's just misunderstood by people that it's outside of their scope of understanding. So they think John from was the name of the beings. I'm the Anunnaki. <laughs> so Dr. Richard Feynman, even he was a astrophysicist and theoretical physicist. He, he described the cult in a paper. Actually, he said during the war, the cargo religion saw airplanes land with lots of good materials and they want the same thing to happen now. So they've arranged to imitate things like runways to put fires along the sides of the runways to make a wooden hut for a man to sit in with two wooden pieces on his head like headphones and bars of bamboo sticking out like antennas. He's the controller and they wait the airplanes to land. So they create, so just, I mean, this alone is such a fascinating thing to look at that this happened. It's documented, go read about it. And so we're talking about primitive tribes who didn't understand that the Wright brothers in all this, in the history of air, air you know, airplanes and that there was even this thing called world war one and two happening. Like there was, they're, they're untouched. They're living out in the, in the jungle. There's even been stories of, of they tried to take children from these remote tribes and bring them to like New York city. And they have literally psychological breakdowns. It's, it'd be like traveling through time and showing the ancient Greeks an iPhone, you know, like it's, it's traumatic. So this gave me the hint that when you go back and read the ancient lore, you're reading descriptions given by the people that wrote about these things that made the most sense to them. You're not just reading these purely scientific, historical, literal documents of actual accounts that are just perfect to the letter. This is my problem with the religious paradigm is that's how they take it. Even though there's a truth behind what's written. And that truth can be a bit of beauty and a bit of terror mixed into one but that it's the, the stuck on the words and the terms that can produce dogma and can produce closed mindedness and can shut you down from trying to see past that veil. That's a veil. That's an illusion. Because if we got primitive tribes still alive today, or at least in recent history, I don't know how many of these tribes still, I'm sure there are still, still some tribes that exist that still worship airplanes, no doubt, but very recently, We've discovered that there are humans that are unaware of the scientific advancements of the human race. And so they ascribe, they deified and spiritualized an actual physical phenomena. And they deified the airmen who would come in and drop cargo to them as if they are gods to be worshiped. So this was, this is the argument of ancient astronaut theorists who are saying, look, a lot of these myths, maybe not all, and yep, there's definitely the change of that over time, but maybe there was an original experience that had that happened to certain peoples on this planet that was treated then in the way that these aboriginal tribes were treating these airplanes.
And now that we have this phenomena as advanced as it is in the information we're getting out, we're learning about classified projects and recovery programs and, you know, all this stuff, abductions and God knows what. And then you go reread the fairy tales about abductions over again. And you go, oh, interesting. Um, how can we not look at this at least to go, well, what if it's, we're using all these words and we're theorizing about it, which is great. And when you're saying, oh, it's a spiritual phenomena. Yeah. What is that? What is spiritual? What does that mean? Does it mean the same thing? Are we talking about the same thing as what I just explained as the story of this tribe that worshiped airplanes? Turns out it's a very physical phenomena after all. It's just being described through the imagination of the very limited lens of the, of the human mind at that time that, that has only the information at their disposal. And I mean, you're only as good as your information, right? So that's why we can't just speak so confidently about this stuff, but it also doesn't mean there isn't a spiritual reality either. It doesn't cancel it out. It's just, I've got to call this up when we're having this discussion to say, keep this on the forefront of your mind. And that's the intention I have when I come out and I try to question people that are out there. Oh, this isn't some alien phenomenon there. The aliens couldn't get here. It's impossible. Uh, it, it's, it's spiritual beings from other dimensions. Maybe it's a bit of both. Why do we have a problem with it being a bit of both? It's interesting to me. So let's get into the etymology. I'm not going to a deep dive on this. I'm just going to give you some very quick little notes on it. Okay. So actually, you know what? Let me just, I'm going to get to the etymology. I've listed it in a few points. I got like six points. Okay. That is in a section I call arguments against spiritual beings being the only explanation for this. Okay. Just, just the only explanation. Doesn't mean I'm taking it off the table. I've had some freaky paranormal experiences in my life. I had Tom Montauk come on my show, uh, which I should link up for you. Go check it out. Just look on my channels. Go look up Tom Montauk. We had a really good chat about it. He did a really good job of explaining this. And I, I've, I'm going to do more on this with him down the road if he's willing. But see, he, he was a lot more open-minded to this being both, right? And but there's many who are afraid to say that it's both. They want it to be only, oh, it's spiritual, interdimensional. And I have, a, I have an explanation as to why I think that is. But um, so this is my six points that I just wrote down before I do this podcast of just things to think about when we're, we're thinking, okay, just the pure explanation that we're just dealing with sp spiritual beings or, you know, whatever. Here we go. Number one, what do spiritual beings need craft to travel in for if you're spiritual in the way that the average mind thinks of spiritual beings ghosts demons angels something outside of the physical realm what do you need physical craft for right what would spiritual beings need physical resources or physical genetics for if that's the explanation of say we get into Zachariah Sitchin's work or some of these other people that wrote about how these were physical beings that were just more advanced that came here and they had, they had an objective of getting access to physical raw materials. He theorized it was about gold and minerals. Others have said it's about genetics. Either way, that's, those are physical properties, right? Uh, the discussion about the grays and these abductions about how they are looking 
for genetics. That's a theory that's out there as to what this is about, is that we're dealing with a species that maybe screwed itself up with too much interbreeding or something, or they come from a dying planet and they need to re-engineer their species and they need the genetic materials and the physical materials from other planets in order to achieve that. That's just one theory. What would spiritual beings and, and oh, sorry, one more point about that in a lot of the ancient legends, you can tell the difference in my opinion between mythological writing where they're talking about astrology or movements of planets and just calling them gods and creating little Shakespearean plays of, you know, anthropomorphism and, and, you know, metaphor and allegory in their storytelling. There's that, but that there's also discussions that are very specific as in, you know, the Nag Hammadi, the, uh, the ancient Sumerian writings and, and many others as well even in the book of Enoch and, and some of these other books where it's, it's, it's specifically talking about something that is desired by whoever these beings are that's possessed by the human race and that exists on this physical planet. So there's, it's almost like, you know, why do they have to come here and get humans to go and do mining operations for them? So it's the discussions of in these stories and you can get into ancient native American stories and other stories that are, are, similar to this, that there's a good case. It's not solid, but there's a good case to be made that a lot of these stories are so specific in that regard, because these are memories hearkening back to these older experiences that probably happened pre flood or pre deluge or pre cataclysm. If you believe in that theory, um, this we're talking well before that, where there were real interactions with something more advanced that wasn't us, that ancient man deified and called spiritual beings, but that was just as physical as you and I, they just had a better understanding of time and space and how reality works. And they developed technology that looked like magic to us. Right? So what do those beings, if they're just purely spiritual, that can travel through time and space in a second, that are the, what, what was thought of by the medieval thinkers as being demons and angels. What do they need physical resources and genetics and physical craft for? That, that's sort of the one question that pops up and maybe you got an answer, but it's just questions to think about. Then there's this one, number three, this is my sticking point. Okay. This is my sticking point doing all this work that I've done on Unslaved and on my show and in my research about psychology. And I was interested in that because I first started looking at like mind control and propaganda and how that works. And then I was really interested in psychology. And then I've been batting around in this environment of alternative research for about 20 plus years now. And I've seen the psychological mechanisms at work in real time in people that are very resistant to anything new than their own ideas. And I was always like, why is that? Why are we so afraid to think outside of our own boxes? You know, why am I even afraid sometimes? You know, what is this? So I got a curiosity about psychology, all right. And when you find out this pill, you can't keep this off the table when we have this discussion that Tucker's having and all these people are having right now. But what is this phenomenon? What is it? Is it physical or spiritual or both? At least, I mean, you don't have to agree with my take. But at least don't take this point off the shelf or off the table when speculating on this subject. If we don't take it off the table, then I think we're still on rational ground. If we forget about this, 
we're going to be off in la la land really quickly, which is what happened to the UFO community because this was not present. You had John Mack and maybe a couple other guys that were thinking about this. That's it. <laughs> Everybody else went, I want the shiny candy. I don't want to go deep on this. So here it is. Do we humans have a penchant for editing reality to suit our preferences or avoid dealing with anything perceived by us as traumatic or threatening to our current paradigm? It's a mouthful, but let me just make it simple. Do we humans have a penchant for editing our reality to suit our preferences? Yes or no? If it's yes, which spoiler alert, it is yes. In my estimation, at least. Okay, just go look at 2020 to our current period and ask me if humans have a penchant for editing reality or not. If we humans do indeed have a penchant for editing reality to suit our preferences, creating these things we call beliefs, and it might be motivated by trying to cover the trauma of the question in front of us or the reality or the facts in front of us. So we eventually avoid it. We edit it, right? There's the function of your brain that's trying to edit out trauma so that you can keep your, it's a survival mechanism for your psyche. If that's the case, what does that fact do to the research field that we're talking about? What does it do to it? Well, it opens up a lot in my opinion. And that's why I just say, I'm down with the discussion about this being interdimensional, spiritual, physical, a bit of everything. Maybe it's so big, we can't even, I'm down with that. I love it all. Okay. But I stick on this point because if we don't at least keep this caption, this understanding in the forefront of our minds while we're speculating on this. And it was, I was glad to see Tucker even say, yeah, I'm speculating now. I just want to let you know. So point to him for that hundred percent. Not everybody's willing to admit that too many people speak authoritatively about all these things, which is when I tune out. <laughs> um, if we don't keep this, do humans have a penchant for editing reality to suit their preferences? If we keep that off the table of discussion when having this discussion, this discussion is worthless. It's literally meaningless. If true, I mean, if truth is the goal, it's entertaining. It appeases our anxiety. It might suit our preferences and humans definitely love to have their preferences suited. But if truth is the goal, you have to keep this on the, in the storyline, in, in the, in the investigation process. Okay. So that's number three. It's a big one. Four, if we look, now this is the etymology. If we look at the etymology of the term spirit and spiritual, let's just do a quick little breakdown. I got this from like etymology online. There's many etymological sources. I even got books from like the 1800s on etymology. They have slight differences, but they're all pretty generally the same is from what I've seen. Um, I did this discussion in my premium, my truth warrior premium on the Bible, on the Bible decoded, the children of light and the story of heaven and hell and everything. Um, I did this whole discussion about what spirit and spiritual is in the etymology. And then remember words are no matter where they originate from, they originated from human minds to try to describe reality. That's what words are. They're describing thoughts. They're describing reality using language. 
and language, no matter how beautiful it can be, can be limiting when we're talking about something that's beyond our capability of understanding at this time. So we give words and terms to it. Then there's what people think you mean when you say those words. And look, now we're in the age where they're like, we don't even know what a woman is or what a man is or what, you know, a, what green is like, we, we can't even define anything anymore. And so we got to keep this in mind as well. So if we look at the etymology of the word spirit and spiritual, we get it from a medieval Latin ecclesiastical use of Latin spiritualis, which means pertaining to spirit of or pertaining to breath, breathing, wind, or air. Or from the Latin spiritus, which means of breathing, of the spirit. According to Barnhart and OED, the earliest use of the word in English mainly is from passages, passages in the Vulgate, where the Latin word translates Greek pneuma and the Hebrew ruah. And if you look up pneuma and ruah, in those languages, again, they're talking about spirit, breath, wind, light. And there's a good case to be made that they were trying to come up with a term that their belief of what spirit was, was the combining of light and breath, which is what creates reality. And you could add sound into the mix as well, which some would argue sound is just another property of light that's experienced through a different interpretive system known as the inner ear, right? Um, but you know, there you go. Okay. So we're talking, you know, light, breathing, air. So where did we even get the concept of air? Well, that's from some one of the five elements, right? Air, water, earth, right? Air. Well, a living organism breathes. So he who breathes, who, who pulls from the air and exhales the air, is alive with spirit. The spirit is the air, right? Or we've even heard the spirit is in the air, or even the descriptions of what the Holy Spirit is in the Bible is it's of the air. So spiritual, it's of the air and the air, you can't see the air. You can only feel the effects of the air. You can't see the wind, but you can feel the effects of the wind. You can't see the wind hitting the surface of the water to cause waves or movements on the surface of the water or ripples in the pond but we know it's there because we feel it. So, oh, we can't see it. We can feel it. And now we can measure it. And now we can get into molecules and all that. But either way, to the ancient mind, they're like, yeah, if you're breathing, you have spirit. And if you are not breathing, you are, you, you are returned to the realm from which spirit came, from which air and breath and light and life came to men. We, come, we, we must go to the origin point. So it's just, it's just one way of thinking. Now, the other thing is they say, there's a distinction between soul and spirit, as in the seed of emotions, right? Which would be your pineal gland and your prefrontal neocortex. It became a current in Christian terminology, such as in the Greek, psyche, psyche in Greek, P-S-Y-K-H-E and pneuma. So psyche, so in Christian terminology, they looked to the words psyche and pneuma, and in the Latin anima and spiritus. If those are the terms that gave us this current understanding of spirit and spiritual. I found it interesting that in Greek, if you look up psyche, P-S-Y-K-H-E, it's psyche. It's where we get the word psyche. That's discussed by 
Young and many other psychologists talking about your mind. And if you listen to people like Carl Jung or people like Krishnamurti, Jiddu Krishnamurti or Alan Watts or some of these thinkers on what the psyche is, psyche and soul are one. In fact, look at it. The etymologies giving you a relation between the two words, psyche and soul, psyche and spirit, air, light, breath. The fact that you have a psyche, they're, hint, they're hinting at the fact that you have reason, you have all these things, right? I don't want to get in this big etymological thing. I just found it interesting that there's connections between spirit and the words wind, breath, light, and psyche, the mind. So are we talking about a realm of mind? Well, now you're going to get into all this stuff we've been doing on Unslaved about idealism and some of these German mystical thinkers and many other thinkers from around the world. It goes back into ancient India. It goes into many, many concepts about how mind and universe are one. Mind and spirit and psyche are one. And this gets into a lot of stuff here. So if we bring this on the table, when we talk, or oh, are these beings that we're talking about in this whole UFO phenomenon, are they spiritual? Are we back to the psychological arguments of the skeptics? We're like, oh, it's all a product of your psychology. It's, it's uh, group delusions and mass delusions and all this. Now, much of it can be delusional. Much of it can be unidentified phenomena. Much of it can be misunderstood. Much of it can be projections of the psyche, meaning not physical, not real, but pulling in from the world of imagination, which isn't that some of the greatest philosophy has told us that world of imagination is literally what cre is what's creating this reality for us on a collective level. And is it just go beyond, is it just earth that's participating in that creation or is it the entire cosmos? And is that why ancient words like mind and God and the ancient, you know, Indian and Sanskrit, et cetera, were literally defined the same way. And now we got spirit and psyche talking about very similar things. Is there connections there? Now we've got to do a whole investigation into what is spirit? What is mind? And that's where you pull out someone like Schelling, for example, who made the statement, why I keep repeating it is because it re is relevant to our discussion. He said, brilliant thinker on the subject. He threw a big you know, nuclear bomb in the room and then walked out. He said, well, here's my definition of my philosophy in one sentence. Nature, of course, humans are a part of nature and we live in a natural world, right? Nature, reality itself is simply visible spirit. It's the, the end of the spectrum of what we call spirit. It's the visible material expression of spirit. So nature is visible spirit and spirit is invisible nature. So what we call spirit is just the invisible nature that the human eye can't see and the human mind can't perceive. But the difference in that philosophy, do you see the implications? If let's just say Schelling's statement is correct, that that is what reality is, that nature is visible spirit and spirit is invisible nature. They're just two ends of the spectrum. What that denotes is that there's, it's different from the Gnostic idea of the fact that there's a separation between the spiritual world and the physical world. 
that there's a separation between God and man and God and matter and spirit and matter. It's separate. And then we're just trapped in some big grand illusion or something. But maybe the illusion isn't in the reality itself. Maybe the illusion exists in the psyche, in the mind that's perceiving that reality. So I personally, that statement, because of all the research I'd done in comparative religion, mythology, philosophy, and science, um, just purely out of curiosity about these questions, that statement changed my life. And whether it's true or fully true or not, I just, it, it the implications of it, it this, this, the, the fact that it's a fantastic statement, you don't even have to agree with it to recognize that it's a fantastically deep statement to make. It really makes you think. I love statements that do that. And it doesn't mean you have to accept it all. It's just there to go, wow, brilliant way to put it. They're two ends of the same spectrum. So when we're saying aliens are spiritual, aliens are Anunnaki, they're demons, they're this, they're that. Now the discussion has totally changed by, by what I've just shown you. If we're to go on this line of thinking here, now we don't even have to have that discussion anymore. We can say, no, 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 all is one. All is, it's all the same in the end. You're just literally exercising your imagination, which is great, but you're not everything that pops into your imagination is relevant to the physical world and the physical experiences that people are having with say a phenomena like UFOs, ETs, abductions, whatever. Mass sightings by trained observers, you know, or even just average people. I've listened to these stories my whole life. I've spoken to people that would never go public with their story. It's just, it traumatized them. It's changed their life or it's, you know, enlightened them. But how to put it all together? Maybe our view of reality is the reason we can't nail this, why we can't fully see it. You know, William Blake, you know, you see the world through the lens of the self and man must learn to see things as they truly are, which is infinite. Not that the infiniteness is outside of you or outside of our world or outside of our cosmos or outside of our universe being imposed by some other uh, spiritual reality that sits atop us, but that that was just the best, ex that was the best explanation that could be given. Maybe it's all much more unified and, and whole as a total reality than we know. We just struggle to understand this because of our experience with temporality and life and death and everything. This is where it gets into philosophy now, right? So didn't want to go on too many tangents there. I just thought that was important to bring up. Spirit and spiritual come from spiritus, talking about wind and breath, spiritualis, psyche, <laughs> the psyche, right? Numa, rua. Is there such a thing as Numa and Rua? And are they two different things? Or are those two different languages talking about the same concept? Well, the Greeks called it Numa and the Hebrews called it Rua. They're speaking about the same thing. If I go to Africa and I say, what's spirit in your language? They'd give me a different name. So when you go in the ancient literature from all over the world and you just get a list of like Anunnaki, Anunnaji, Anakim, Rephaim, fallen angels, watchers, Egigi, serpent races, the serpent peoples, the serpent queens, America, Nagas, 
Jin, Jedi, Gregory, Titans, Elves, Prometheans, Olympians, Asuras, Dragon Kings, Rayless Ones, the Chittahori, the gods. Are these all different races that are interacting with humanity? Or are these all just different names? Humans gave something that wasn't explainable in the human world. Just as we've got different words for spirit from different languages and different cultures, and they all have their little twist on it, but they're all talking about the same thing in the end, right? So that's why I pull my hair out going, wait a minute, what are you talking about with this two-dimensional thinking that it's either or? That's, a, that's not thinking. <laughs> thinking is it might be one or the other or another thing or some multiple things at once. Keep your mind open to it. We are truly dealing with a mystery and leave it a mystery. So this last little bit. So oh, let me wrap that up. My point five is we are most likely dealing with a mysterious phenomena that has elements of both physicality and spirit, even though I've just defined them as different ends of the spectrum of the same thing. And just as we ourselves possess qualities of both of these things as humans on earth, it is logical to me, at least to assume that whoever or whatever they are, they would have the same basic qualities and that in the end, we're not dealing with an either or. So that's five. And then number six, I got this from Jordan Maxwell. I did an interview with him a long time ago before he passed away. This was back when I was on American Freedom Radio and it went pretty viral. Um, you can find it on, if you just look up Jordan Maxwell, where did we come from? That's the interview that I did with him. And it was either in that interview or him speaking to me off air when I did that interview with him, where his thinking was, he said, well, I asked him, do they look like us? Like, do, do we have aliens walking around the Pentagon right now? Like Bob Dean said, and Paul Hellier said, and so many other people have said that we're dealing with something that walks amongst us and looks like us. We've even got tales of in the ancient myths, look at the gods, they're pictorialized like humans, but just angelic looking humans. So I would ask, I asked them, what do you think, Jordan? Do you think they, these aliens, whatever they are, these beings, these entities, do they look like us? And he goes, well, for, for me, he said, it's more accurate to say we look like them. And what happens when you change that in your mind? They look like us. That's humans going, we're the pinnacle, we're the apex. They must look like us. And it's natural that we would do that. I mean, we're all subjective beings. We get it, right? Oh, the, the guy looks like me. But which came first, the chicken or the egg? Do they look like us or do we look like them? And if we look like them, what are the implications to that? Oh, now you bring in Charles Fort, you bring in Lloyd Pye, you bring in some of this discussion about, are we an altered species? Was our genetics altered to create this hybridized being of man and heaven and earth? And when we hear heaven and earth, spiritual beings in the religious language, we start thinking other dimensions, other spiritual realms, and other spiritual beings that aren't corporal, aren't physical doing this to us. But this, this brings it into a very real, no, we're talking ancient mythical language, talking about science they couldn't understand about genetic alteration, which is something scientists, earth scientists, human scientists are doing to primitive species right now at DARPA and, you know, 
Monsanto. So there's that thing to bring in, but nobody, that's a, that's a, that's to people. They, they don't like this because it it's, it's not the cozy idea that we thought we had about it. And even though I could go on and on about how, if that's the case, if we are a genetically altered species, that doesn't uh, get rid of the notion of a divine presence in the universe that we call God or whatever, or it doesn't get rid of uh, the, the status that we have. It doesn't mean it's all evil or bad. It just means it's the state of things, right? If it's true, that theory. So there's my six little points to say, wait a minute, before we get into our speculations on spiritual or physical beings, um, we as humans, as I've defined spirit for you, are both. Why wouldn't whatever's interacting with us also be both? And what if what's interacting with us simply has a higher understanding of the nature of reality, how to traverse great distances in time and space, um, and who may have the technology or even the understanding or even the capacity, a capacity that humans don't have. We could have a creature that has the capacities that humans don't have. I mean, an there's animals on this planet that have capacities that humans don't have, and there's capacities that humans have that none of the animals on this planet have, such as our level of intelligence and self-awareness. But we're also incredibly thin-skinned, and this, you know, we're the ones that need shelter and civilization to hide from nature, whereas the rest of nature lives with nature naturally. So it's not an either or scenario in my view, it's both the way I see it. All archetypal renderings of these ancient terms must have had an origin rooted in real world experience at some point in time. If these beings or others do exist as we exist, they are way too smart to fully reveal themselves to us humans who for the most part, aside from a few exceptions here and there, can't even tolerate or understand ourselves or each other just yet let alone whatever they are. Remaining mysterious is highly advisable when interacting with an evolving species that has lost their touch with itself and with reality. As for the variety of names that you can find in ancient books about what these things are, or that even we call today, these are not different types of beings necessarily. They are simply names that we humans give them in our various languages. The very fact that it's so ubiquitous in the ancient record indicates this is much more than a mental projection alone. So, and then of course you have Nikola Tesla's quote from how to signal Mars back in 1910, where he was speculating on this. He said, most certainly some planets are not inhabited, but others are. And among these, there must exist life under all conditions and phases of development. So again, he's trying to open your mind to it at that time, the thinking of the time, Hey, we've discovered other planets in the universe. If we are here on a planet living and walking around, there must be living beings walking around other planets as well. And they must be existing. If we see the size and scale of the universe that we can currently understand, we must be dealing with something that is existing in all phases of development. We got some that are more primitive us, some that are where we're at, some that are more advanced. And then how does the sum total of all organic physical life in the universe interact with what we call spiritual or interdimensionality? Now that's the next discussion to have. But I bring this all out because for me, I just, my pet peeve is when people get into this two-dimensional either or thinking and they go, oh, it's one or the other. And I'm sitting there going, man, be open to it all. Infinite, 
infinite possibilities exist here. But don't leave consciousness at the door, as Tessarian likes to say, meaning don't leave this question of, as we're interpreting all of this stuff and forming our opinions about it, are we leaving this fact at the door because we don't want to admit it that we humans have a penchant for editing reality to suit our preferences and we like to avoid dealing with reality and anything perceived to us as traumatic or outside of our control. Would you think that the UFO phenomena, the ET phenomena, as we understand, would be something that humans would perceive as outside of our control? It might be the very reason that inspired the truth embargo, as Stephen Bassett calls it by the military industrial complex and the private groups and organizations and families that are involved in covering this up from humanity, whatever this is. Maybe there's even a limit to what the, the people on the planet that know all the ins and outs of this operation, even there's mysterious things to them, no doubt, which frightens them to the point where they're like, well, we can't go out and tell the entire world or the American public or whatever that, yeah, this is something that's real. It's not visionary or fictitious as written by what's his name? Was it Twining? Um, they don't want to come out and say it like publicly and make it a standard point of knowledge in, in human history, because the implications are that all governments would cease to exist because of the fact that all the governments would have to say, yeah, we don't control this. We don't have any control over what these beings do. And what if they come out and tell us, like, cause there was a statement by Tucker who's like, well, what, it seems like they've always been here. And it almost sounded like the way he said that was what led him to the conclusion that we're dealing with spiritual beings or a, a civilization. This is another theory. There's a civilization that's more advanced that went underground that hid itself from the main surface dwellers and that they believe they own this planet and they have developed, they're a breakaway civilization. But that group will say, it's only that. It's only this group that lives in the hollow earth and they all the UFOs you see tend to come from the oceans or whatever in their view. And therefore, we're not dealing with beings outside of our planet. We're dealing with just a much older breakaway civilization that went underground and has kept itself secret, right? And that's what we're seeing here. But then more open-minded researchers, yeah, it could be that as well. Or it could be that maybe there's a part of us that's not from Earth. Or maybe that's only to do with certain groups. Maybe we're the ancient aliens. There was a whole show on ancient aliens called Maybe We Are the Ancient Aliens. You know, I don't know. There's so many amazing ideas out there. But stay open to them. If you're truly curious... If you truly love this subject and you love knowledge and you love trying to learn about these mysteries, you're not going to close yourself off completely to any of these ideas, but you're also not going to buy into every damn thing that comes across your newsfeed because it aligns with your preferences, right? That's only, that's my caution here. And that's why I personally sit and will argue, even though I'm open to them all, the non-spiritual interpretation because we don't even define the word properly when we use it half the time, number one, spiritual. Uh, and number two, there are amazing explanations that contradict that. And I think we should look at them and take all of this on board before we jump to that conclusion, before we jump to that conclusion on the jump to conclusions, Matt, get all these bases covered, 
have this all on your desk when you're thinking about it and then think about it. That's it. I'm just saying there's sort of like these, for me, there's precursors, there's prerequisites that need to be considered before we formulate opinions on this. And then no matter what opinion you come to, you must always maintain an open mind to new information that might contradict your preferences and biases in that regard. Everybody's trying to find a hill to die on. And yet this is bigger than all of us can imagine. What's that other statement? Reality isn't as, isn't uh, greater than you imagine. It's greater than you can imagine. Keep that in your mind while you study this. So when you hear fallen angels, yeah, fallen angels, angels can also be looked at as angles of light, right? If you just have a, just look at the translation a little differently, but angels are not, even that term fallen angels is a term translated into English from one or more ancient languages, which these ancient people would have used to refer to advanced beings that they did not fully understand. All language is formulated within a cultural framework and must be interpreted in a proper historical context before these words are used. And again, I go back to my original point within our own, within the last 10 years in this field, we've already changed the names of what we call these things. Take that back through thousands of years, you know, and get back to me. So, um, there you have it guys. That's my opinion. I hope it didn't go too long. I hope it at least made you think. You believe what you want with this. I hope we're at an age where we're starting to get closer to the truth about it. I hope more information is revealed. I'm glad these bigger personalities are talking about it. There's probably some other things that they said in that clip with Tucker that I wanted to comment on, but I'll, I'll do it another time. Um, but I'm glad we're even having this chat. I thoroughly enjoy this subject. It's eternally been mysterious to me. And uh, that's, you know, I'm, I'm totally fine also with the fact that we might not clinch it. We might not know. I'd like to know in my lifetime, but we might not. And we have to be okay with that. And let's not jump to a conclusion too early about it simply because we're desperate to get some kind of final word on it. Just let it be a mystery. Let the mystery move you, move your curiosity and get you thinking on your own and you know, apply that same method to all the subjects that you find fascinating. Form a relationship with knowledge, form a relationship with learning and, and thinking and being curious and being imaginative and learn to love these subjects because they, of what they do to you, no matter, even if you're one of the skeptics goes, ah, it's all a bunch of bullshit. Hey, it doesn't matter. This is one of the biggest questions ever asked by a human being ever. It's huge. It means it has implications. Then even if you're going to say it's not real, it has implications. The question alone has implications for where we're at in our evolution of, th of thought. And in that sense, it's a great mystery and it's important and it's relevant because of how longstanding and ubiquitous this question is. It, it means something. There's a purpose to it. There's a purpose to it, no matter how you shake it down, just as there's a purpose to our lives here, in my opinion. So I hope that helped guys. I wish you well, and we'll talk about this more soon. I'd love to know your thoughts in the comments. Cheers, everybody.